What if I could share with you the worst day of my professional life? Without fear of judgment or ridicule and without loss of respect. Could we learn together from my experience? Case Matters, a podcast series created expressly for Australian dental practitioners, intends to do just that. To create a shared experience where all points of view are explored to help empower safer practice. Hello. My name's Dr. Annaline Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection, and I'm going to guide you through today's case entitled, You Made My Daughter Ugly. The title quickly tells you about the parents' point of view here, but perhaps their reason for holding such a strong view is less clear. Essentially, the matter pivots around a significant breakdown of communication between the dental practitioner and the parents of a child patient, meaning the appropriate placement of stainless steel crowns was unexpected and unwelcome. Many parties became involved in this specific matter and everyone had an opinion. But which view was correct? All of them? Or just some of them? And is there such a thing as the right point of view in this at all? Or could it perhaps be that everyone is a little bit right and a little bit wrong? We'll hear from the people involved and also look at the final outcome to see what lessons can be learned. Mrs King took her six-year-old daughter Ella to see Dr Walker for an assessment as she could see some yellow and brown spots on Ella's teeth. She reported that recently Ella had been very reluctant to eat is crying when she has cold drinks and often says she has earache when she goes to bed at night. The doctor could not find an issue with her ears and recommended Ella see the dentist. Mrs King completed the paperwork and took a seat in the waiting room. Dr Walker, would you like to take over? Ella presents as a cooperative, although shy girl. Examination reveals multiple carious lesions with the lower D's and E's likely being deep, although not so deep as to require pulp therapy. The erupted sixes are also an issue as they are hypermineralized. Based on what you can see, what options do you think are available for Ella? Well, I could refer her to the specialist, pedodontist, for an assessment and care. However, I do treat a large number of children and I'm very comfortable with this kind of work. So I won't discuss that option with mum as it's unnecessary. And I'll keep this treatment done in-house. I do think we should try to hang on to those sixes for as long as we can. And certainly, Ella will need to be assessed by an orthodontist in due course to see if we consider sacrificing them and letting the sevens and eights move forwards, with or without assistance from orthodontic appliances. I can definitely help Ella keep her teeth with fillings, so no extractions needed. And I think that stainless steel crowns on all of the sixes, probably the lower E's, would give her the best chance of keeping these teeth long term. I don't believe she'll need any pulp treatments, but I'll advise mum they may be needed if we're removing the decay and it's worse than it appears. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us, Dr Walker. It seems like Ella needs a lot of work. Will you build up Ella's confidence with multiple shorter appointments, perhaps doing some smaller things first and then bigger items when she's more confident? No, not for this amount of work. I have a monthly GA list just for patients like Ella as we all know how tricky hypermineralized sixes can be to numb up. I would otherwise be worried that this lovely cooperative little girl could be traumatized if I tried to do too much until these teeth are properly sealed. The suction alone would be really uncomfortable for her. So I think doing it all in one hit under GA would be the way ahead, and then regular visits after that. Dr Walker talked through her findings with Mrs King and outlined the treatment she's recommending for Ella. 
The examination and discussion took around 40 minutes, with Mrs. King then being issued an estimate at front office with all of the health fund codes and costings. Mrs. King was required to complete some paperwork and pay a deposit for the general anaesthetic. As the practice offers examinations at no gap, this meant a $500 deposit for the general anaesthetic only on that day, which Mrs. King paid in cash. Mrs. King was given a copy of this paperwork and the estimate of health fund codes, some written information about the general anaesthetic and the associated costs for the anaesthetist, but no other information relating to Ella's proposed treatment. How do you feel about this so far? Based on the information Dr. King has shared, would you have done anything differently? And what do you think is going to happen next? Two days prior to the planned Friday appointment, Dr. Walker's front office rang to confirm the appointment, to go through the pre- and post-op instructions again and ask if Mrs. King had any questions. At this time, Mrs. King queried if the fillings would be metal or white. On review of the treatment plan, the receptionist was able to confirm that Ella was planned for white fillings and crowns. How did the procedure go, Dr. Walker? Pleasingly uneventful. I took bite wings as planned at the start of the procedure, so there were no nasty surprises. I was able to place stainless steel crowns on the sixes and lower E's as planned, and then simple composites for all D's as anticipated. Now Ella should be able to eat more comfortably, and this will get her through to an appropriate age for an orthodontic assessment regarding what to do with those sixes, as I am unsure if they'll last the distance for her. It is always nice to be able to get these hypermineralized teeth before they've broken down too badly and require immediate extraction, don't you think? Do you agree with Dr. Walker? Do you think the ortho assessment should have happened prior to the general anesthetic? And can you sense why Dr. Walker's going to receive a complaint? There is a breakdown in communication. Did you notice it? I can tell you with 100% confidence that Dr. Walker did not. The following Monday, Mr. King, Ella's father, who has not yet been involved in our story thus far, called the practice to make a complaint. Mr. King, could you please explain your concerns to us? I don't know how to explain my concerns, but I can tell you right now that I'm not very happy at all. We were told that Ella was having white fillings and crowns, and instead, she looks like Jaws from the James Bond movies, and I'm not even kidding. It's awful. She can't seem to shut her mouth properly, so she sat there with her lips parted all the time, which she never was before. And all you can see are her silver teeth, especially when she talks or smiles. Not that she's doing much of that at the moment. We're supposed to be going to my brother's wedding on the weekend, and Ella is supposed to be a flower girl. My new sister-in-law is absolutely paranoid about everything being just so, and I'm pretty sure she's not going to want Ella in the bridal party when she can't smile properly. Ella's been crying over the weekend, and she's worried she might not be able to be a bridesmaid now. My ex-wife told me that she specifically rang to make sure Ella was not getting any metal fillings, after I asked her to double-check, as I was not there during the discussion with the dentist. When she called, she was told that Ella was having white fillings and crowns. These are not white crowns. They look like some cheap alternative. Not that they are cheap. My ex-wife told me what the gap would be after the Medicare for the anaesthetist and the health fund rebate. And I agreed to pay it, of course, because Ella is my daughter and I want her to have the best care. Regardless, 
Part of our co-parenting arrangement is that I pay Ella's medical bills. I make sure my ex always has some cash for any unexpected costs as I don't want Ella to go without anything. I assumed that the costs were so high because of the hospital visit, but they didn't even keep her in overnight, which seemed wrong, especially as she was vomiting all day on Friday. Of course, it was my weekend with her, so I had to deal with it. I called out the doctor and they said that Ella must have either swallowed a lot of blood or anaesthetic gases to be so sick. She's clearly had a needle in her hand because I can see the bruise there, so it can't be the gas that put her under, but a needle. And so, it must be that that made her bleed a lot with this terrible treatment for her to be that sick. Back to the costs. There was no out-of-pocket for the hospital with our health fund, and we get some Medicare back for the anaesthetist. So the bulk of this bill is for four fillings and six crowns, and it's really expensive. I told the practice, you've just got time to fix this before the wedding. You've made my daughter ugly, and I've had to keep her off school today, she's so upset. Luckily, I could work from home, and then she's back with her mum, but she'll be able to bring her in, as she's as upset as I am. We need it sorted, now. Is this the outcome you were expecting? Do you think Mr King is being fair? What more, if anything, do you think Dr Walker could have or should have done to avoid this complaint? And how do you think Mrs King feels in all this? And let us not forget Ella and how she feels. And what do you think is going to happen next? Dr Walker called Mr King to make some time for him to come in and talk through his concerns. Regretfully, the conversation did not go well. What an unreasonable man. I tried to explain to him that I had acted in Ella's best interests and that she needed the crowns due to the poorly formed enamel on her teeth. He asked why she couldn't have had white crowns and I told him these were unreasonable for a child as they were too destructive. He told me his six-year-old nephew had white crowns on his front teeth and I responded that this couldn't be the case. I showed him that his ex-wife had signed all the consent documentation and this document clearly states metallic preformed crowns. So we had proceeded with the treatment with her full consent, so perhaps he should take it up with her. Then he got aggravated, probably because he doesn't like being in the wrong, and he told me to fix things by changing the crowns. I refused, as it was not in Ella's best interest to take the crowns off. He left in a temper and did not pay his outstanding account on the way out. I should probably call Dental Protection to ask what to do next. I'm really frustrated, as I am right and the treatment Ella got was really the best care for a child with hypermineralization. Why can't Mr. King see that? And it is a nonsense to suggest that crowns will affect her confidence and smile. More likely he is affecting it by being so silly. Many children at Ella's school and indeed her class have stainless steel crowns, and I should know because I fitted them. He wouldn't engage in that with me, and he brushed me off. If only he had listened. Oh dear, that does not seem to have gone well at all. We should of course see how Mr King feels as he may have had a chance to reflect on things and come to understand the need for stainless steel crowns. What an unreasonable woman. I tried to explain that of course we wanted the best care for Ella and her best interests are the only thing my ex and I care about. She seemed to think I was lying about my nephew but he definitely had something called strip crowns with the specialists where they live, and they're definitely white, not metal. 
She seemed to think that waving a piece of paper signed by my ex in my face would somehow make everything okay. I felt she was trying to get me angry at my ex, which made me cross, as it's hard enough to keep things normal as possible for Ella without someone else stirring trouble between us. Then, she wouldn't fix this mistake. She just told me I was being unreasonable and doing the treatment again would hurt Ella and implied I was suggesting redoing the treatment for the sake of vanity. Well, that was it. I left with her calling down the hall after me about other children in the class having the same thing in their mouth. With all respect, I don't care about them. That's for their parents. I care about Ella. I know my child and this has affected her at a time when we as a family are already under a lot of stress. It's incredibly upsetting to be accused of being the cause of upset for Ella. I just want some solutions and some answers too. Like, why can't Ella close her teeth together anymore? She wouldn't engage without me and brush me off. She talked over me a lot. If only she had listened. Two people with very contrary points of view. Dr Walker clearly feels she is right. But who is right here? And does it even matter? And how could this upset have been avoided? And can it now be rectified? And why can't Ella close her mouth? Mr King went home and took some images on his phone of Ella's teeth. He called his brother and they met up for a coffee and a chat. His brother listened to his concerns about Ella's teeth and reassured him it didn't matter. Comforted by his brother, Mr King was able to tell Ella that she would be flower girl after all. After the wedding, though, something didn't sit right with him. Mr and Mrs King discussed Ella's teeth every time they dropped her off to one another. Mrs King said she had been speaking with the other mums at school and that silver teeth were normal, as Dr Walker had suggested. She apologised for having misunderstood and said she felt responsible for upsetting Ella. Mrs King cried a lot over this time. Ella heard every conversation and saw the tears. She felt she had in some way caused this and became very withdrawn. That is it. My child and my ex are devastated about this. I need to act. I need justice for Ella and I need to make sure that no one else's child goes through this trauma again. It's interesting to note that Mr King talks in terms of justice and that Dr Walker spoke in terms of being right. When did the treatment of a six-year-old become so divisive? Mr King made a formal complaint to the regulator regarding Dr Walker and the treatment she provided to Ella. The regulator has different names across the different states and territories of Australia, so for ease of reference we refer to the regulator in case matters as the dental board. Dr Walker received the dental board notification complete with photos of Ella taken by Mr King on day three after treatment with an anterior open bite. The allegations were that Dr Walker had failed to obtain valid consent, that she had provided poor care to a vulnerable child and that her behaviour after the complaint was wholly inappropriate. Dr Walker contacted Dental Protection and will ask the dental legal consultant what their view is. Dr Walker contacted us once the dental board notification had been received, although I note she had considered reaching out to us before then. Matters involving children, particularly if the parents are separated where one party gives consent to the treatment, expecting the other party to pay, can be very challenging for everyone. Pleasingly, that is not a key factor here. Can you expand on that? 
Certainly, Annalene. Oftentimes, divorced parents will have parenting orders in place that set out which parents can and cannot give consent to treatment and what steps a practitioner must make in accordance with these orders before they proceed to treatment. In the absence of parenting orders, either because they don't exist or because the parents are separated and have not got as far as family court yet, it can be difficult for a practitioner to know whether they ought to or not to speak to both parents to obtain consent for treatment. Realistically, Annalena, it can be generally be very difficult to know which adult attends with any child regardless. Is it a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, a sibling or a family friend? And whoever they are, do they have the legal right to consent on behalf of the child? One helpful step to overcome this challenge can be to ask the child which grown-up they have with them today and note their response in the records. Then it can be helpful to ask that adult if there is another person we also need to discuss the child's care with before we proceed, and again noting down the response. Before seeing the patient, there are some simple changes to your new patient form you can make as well. Firstly, you can have a box that says name of person attending with child and relationship to patient. Then a separate box that asks Name the person responsible for payment and their relationship to the patient. These simple steps can avoid upset further down the track. In this case, the treatment Dr. Walker provided was appropriate and well within her scope of practice. While she has signed consent documentation, the records do reflect the question from Mrs. King regarding whether Ella was having metal or white fillings and the response of, white fillings and crowns. And I think it is easy to see how someone could become confused as to what that actually meant. While the treatment plan clearly states crown metallic preformed, in the absence of any other written information regarding what this means in real terms and in Ella's mouth, it is difficult to rely on this as evidence of consent. It is worth remembering that the questions patients ask us can be very telling, as this signposts their concerns to us. In this case, the presence of metal in Ella's mouth. Had Mrs. King truly understood and had the opportunity to discuss things with her ex-husband prior to treatment, the complaint may well not have occurred. Critically, Dr. Walker's notes are scant at best with very little content surrounding the pre-treatment conversation she had with Mrs. King. Regretfully, the surgical notes are worse, with omissions including essential items such as what type of anaesthetic was used and how it was administered. Then, the records documenting the conversation with Mr. King are emotive and accusational in tone. When compared to the measured complaint of Mr. King, and the frank malocclusion that Ella has in the provided photos, Dr. Walker gives the appearance of having demonstrated a marked lack of care. Now, having spoken with Dr. Walker, this could not be further from the truth. She was greatly troubled by this complaint, but remains confident that she was right and that no one could have cared any better for Ella. Consequently, she declined to consider making any admissions regarding the paucity of her records, 
nor undertaken any record-keeping CPD as advised. She was, however, prepared to apologise to the King family in her submission and also provide a reasonable explanation for the open bite after the placement of crowns. I prepared her for the possibility of conditions from the dental board, not about the treatment that she provided, but about the consent process in her record-keeping. Thanks. Perhaps now it's time to hear the dental board's view. The board has assessed the matter, and while the placement of stainless steel crowns is appropriate in this case, the consent form in isolation does not provide evidence of a valid consent being in place. The Code of Conduct is a key guidance for dental practitioners on how to behave, and Section 3.5 states that Informed consent is a person's voluntary decision about healthcare that is made with knowledge and understanding of the benefits and risks involved. It goes on to say that good practice involves providing information to patients or clients in a way they can understand before asking for their consent. There is no evidence from the clinical notes that Dr Walker did this, and nor was Mrs King provided with any written information to assist her in better understanding the treatment Ella was to receive. Dr Walker breached the Code of Conduct further by not following Section 3.9, which states... Good practice involves being considerate to relatives, carers, partners and others close to the patient or client and respectful of their role in the care of the patient or client and with appropriate consent can be responsive in providing information. Mr King reports resistance to discussion from Dr Walker and this difficulty is documented in her clinical notes in very emotive terms. Dr Walker failed to respond appropriately to the complaint in accordance with Section 3.11 of the Code of Conduct and also breached Section 3.3, Effective Communication, by failing to respond appropriately to the questions asked by both Mr King and Mrs King. The Board would like to draw Dr Walker's attention to the following excerpt from Section 3.3 of the Code of Conduct, which states that an important part of the practitioner-patient-client relationship is effective communication. This involves listening to patients or clients, asking for and respecting their views about their health. It goes on to say that when a complaint is made, patients or clients have a right to complain about their care. Good practice involves providing a prompt, open and constructive response, including an explanation and, if appropriate, an apology. The board does not believe that this occurred. Finally, Dr Walker's records do not meet the standard expected of a dental professional and the board would draw Dr Walker's attention to Section 8.4 of the Code of Conduct, which is dedicated to dental records. The board would also draw Dr Walker's attention to the self-reflective tool on their website, which enables practitioners to assess the quality of their records. This all sounds very serious. What will happen to Dr Walker next? Well, Annaline, while many practitioners consider dental records to be an irritating administrative burden, the board considers them to be an essential component of care. Additionally, the many breaches of code of conduct regarding Dr Walker's behaviour towards the King family, both in lack of evidence to consent and lack of evidence to concern, cannot be ignored. Consequently, the board has formed a reasonable belief that Dr Walker's performance when treating Miss Alleking was below the standard expected of a dental practitioner and amounts to unsatisfactory professional performance. In light of this finding, the board issues Dr Walker with a reprimand and places the following conditions on Dr Walker's registration. Firstly, 
She is to undertake six hours of continuing professional development on consent and communication. Next, Dr. Walker is to also undertake six hours of continuing professional development on dental record keeping. Three, once this continuing professional development is completed and Dr. Walker has provided the board with a reflective statement outlining what she has learned, the board will conduct an on-site order of Dr. Walker's dental records at her practice to ensure she is now meeting the standard. Finally, these conditions are to be met at Dr. Walker's own expense. Does the severity of this outcome surprise you or do you feel it's fair? One point of view we have not considered is that of Ella. And I'll leave you with one last thought before I hand over to my colleague, the dental legal consultant in this matter, to share some valuable learning points. Any dispute surrounding a child deeply affects that child. When any complaint or upset occurs surrounding treatment you have provided, please know that you are the first thing the patient or family think about in the morning and the last thing they think about at night. They talk about you over breakfast, in the car and over dinner. An adult has the emotional capacity to process this upset. A child likely does not. And consequently, many children are deeply impacted if something goes wrong with their care, far more than may be apparent at first blush. Thanks, Annalene. I think this is a key point. Sometimes it can be easy to get so caught up on being right that we can overlook the importance of how the treatment we have provided has affected our patients. If we provide the right treatment to our patient and it deeply and negatively impacts on them and those around them, is it still the right treatment? Perhaps it still is, but perhaps we can adjust something else in the provision of that care that can assist our patient in their understanding and alter their perception on how things unfolded and ultimately how they feel about the care they have been provided. When we look at the conditions imposed by the dental board in this matter, it can be easy to focus on the negative feelings associated with being reprimanded or disciplined. And this can be particularly hard to swallow if the treatment provided was in fact sound. No one likes the feelings that come from being told that something in their conduct was lacking. And it can be even harder to know that this shortcoming is now publicly displayed for all to see should they look up the particulars on our registration. When we believe the end result was fair, we can't only look at the imposing of conditions as a standalone result. Is it fair that a patient, parent, has the right to bring their concerns and be heard? Is it right that these concerns should be addressed openly and honestly and in a way that addresses this issue? In this particular matter, perhaps the end result would not have changed, that the treatment would still not have been redone. However, the path of listening and discussing these concerns in a way that Mr King had the opportunity to be heard and understood may have resulted in a less traumatic experience for everyone. And let's be honest, no one has won with the end result here. Imposing conditions has not lessened or reduced how upsetting this has been for Ella or her parents. Being right has not resulted in the validation that Dr Walker was expecting about her treatment either. The best result from this entire process may be the better understanding of how we communicate with others can deeply impact on them, and the growth that this has led to us as practitioners and how we interact with our patients and those around us. 
So some take-home messages from the matter include pay attention to the intricacies of consent. Consent is a conversation that should be documented in the clinical notes and is not just an administrative process or a form that requires ticking off the to-do list. Consent is not a one-time administrative process, but rather an ongoing conversation between those providing the care and those who are receiving it. Additionally, there are added complexities in this process when dealing with children, and who is responsible for consent for their treatment, as well as financial consent. Remember that communication is key. In discussing treatment needs and options, in communicating with your patients, their parents, guardians, those responsible for payment, and also for other staff who may be assisting you in the provision of your care, such as front office staff responsible for bookings and financial arrangements. Also, keep your professional responsibilities in the forefront of your mind, particularly when dealing with a complaint. These extend so much further than the simple responsibility of providing the right treatment. Obviously, this is key. However, what can be equally as important is how we provide this treatment and how we conduct ourselves in the provision of that care to our patients. Thank you for setting that out for us, Mike, and thank you all for joining us today. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Case Matters. The cases discussed in Case Matters are presented as an educational aid to dental protection members and to act as a risk management tool. They're based on issues arising in dental protection cases in Australia, and some facts have been altered to preserve confidentiality. If you like dental protection podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.